from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. So I was at the NCIA Cannabis Business Summit in December out in San Francisco, and lo and behold, I ran into Andrew D'Angelo, who is a great interview, and I was really excited to catch up with him. Andrew, if you don't know his name, is a cannabis advocate. He is an entrepreneur. He is the co-founder with his brother, Stephen D'Angelo, of Harborside, which is a legacy California-focused company with retail production and cultivation operations. And Andrew has also worked on a variety of voter initiatives which have legalized medical and adult-use cannabis in San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and the state of California. But Andrew recently started a new business venture as a consultant to cannabis companies. Companies come to him to figure out how to get licensed, how to raise money, and just basically grow and brand their business. And I got him to offer some free advice. So you'll want to listen to this. Without further ado, I bring you my interview with Andrew D'Angelo. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be with you today. Thank you for having me. So you have a kind of relatively new role that you are embarking on, and that is a cannabis consultant. Tell me what, what exactly that entails. Right. Well, I have a little boutique cannabis consulting company, I guess you'd call it now. And the industry is just exploding, right? All over the place. And there's a lot of, I call them regional entrepreneurs out there who've been successful in other businesses, perhaps. They're looking at cannabis as entrepreneurs look at something like our emerging industry as a once in a generation, really, opportunity, maybe once in a century opportunity. And so they're jumping in, uh, but they don't have experience or knowledge in our industry. And that's where I come in. So um, having already built a pretty big cannabis company, legal cannabis company, Harborside, now what's fun about consulting is instead of concentrating on one company and building one company, I get to build the whole industry. So I'm doing hemp in Thailand and I'm doing vertically integrated medical in Mississippi. I'm doing medical in Ohio. I've got genetics going on in California and I'm talking to uh, some folks in Mexico now. So it, it, that's what's fun for me is taking the plant more widely out into the world and being able to sort of be on the front lines of the industry not just the front lines of Harborside. So what are some of the sort of most common questions you get from people who are new to the industry, who are looking for your guidance? What, what are some of the, the, the immediate obstacles, hurdles that they face that they need some consulting on? Well, the two first questions you get from newer entrants is, can you help me get a license? And can you help me raise some money? The answer to both those questions is yes, I can do those things. Um, what, what's really fun for me is after we get the license together, then we build the business or the company. And, and that's what's really 
fun. And then, you know, once the license happens, the most common question is, all right, what do I do now? And so we take them through a step-by-step process of depending on, is it cultivation? Is it manufacturing? Is it, you know, hemp? Is it cannabis? Is it retail? And all those functions, shall we call them, I have systems in place that I help people get from license to revenue operations. And it usually involves um, recruiting other, a couple other consultants and, and building the team uh, that's going to you know, run the company once it's open and revenue operations have begun. That's really my sweet spot. That's what my boutique little agency does best. Once the business is open, the entrepreneurs generally want to run them. And I think that's great. And if they run into some rough patches and they need a little help, we're there for them too. And I always start these businesses with our eye on the exit, right? So I try to figure out, okay, how are we going to differentiate? How are we going to set this little or medium size? Most of my clients are medium size business up for a nice exit. Uh, and then other people that are that do exits, <laughs> uh, the, the bigger firms and the, the bigger uh, um, consulting agencies that have lawyers and a giant bench of people that know how to do exits and take companies public. I have relationships with those folks that I can certainly guide my clients towards, but I don't actually do that part of it. So I, I like to be sort of in the beginning and the middle stage I like to work with medium-sized companies that want to carve out a nice little niche for themselves, set themselves up for an exit or not. If they want to be multi-generational, um, some folks, you know, want to do that. So we, we, that's a little bit different approach and strategy, but uh, I can help folks uh, do that as well. So that's what my little boutique agency does. Consulting in general in cannabis Maybe we should talk about that a little because that's kind of a minefield for folks, entrepreneurs, to, to sort of wade themselves through. I, I want to talk about that. Let's get back to that. Put a pin in that because that is interesting. I want to talk about this licensing issue. What is What can you do to help they wouldn't be normally able to do without, your, without somebody like you to, to guide them through the licensing issue? Well, it just depends on what state they're in also. I, use, I usually use other people to help right? So that are really good at getting licenses because those folks have lawyers and they have people that used to work in government. And these are government applications we're talking about filling out here, everybody. And they're complicated and they have to be written in a certain bureaucratic speak and that these professionals know how to do. So I typically collaborate with a group like that and my client and me, and oftentimes the client needs someone like me in the application representing them as a subject matter expert in cannabis because they get more points uh, in the application for doing that. And of course, I have a team of people and a huge Rolodex of people that can also serve that purpose, cultivators and manufacturers and all kinds of different folks um, that can help people win. Because you got to apply. Applying is really nice. It's nice to apply. <laughs> it's expensive to apply in most states. And, but it, it's a real bummer when you don't win. So I tend to work with people who've won a lot because 
I really build businesses and companies more than I fill out government applications, but it's really helpful to have a subject matter expert like me guiding all those other professionals and making sure that when we're talking about cannabis or we're talking about a layout of a dispensary or we're talking about how the, you know, the, the weed is going to be grown or manufactured, that we're articulating that in the application in a way that is smart, that everyone understands, and that we can then go execute. Because, you know, they hold you to it. If you say you're going to do X, Y, Z in the application, they give you a license. Well, you have to go do X, Y, Z. Uh, so that's where the subject matter experts like me and a whole bunch of other people come in to help with with that. So that's largely what I do is collaborate with like with other. Team. Yeah, yeah, like a firm. You know, I like to use Global Go. That's one firm I work with a lot. They have a 98% success rate in getting winning the license. So all the bureaucratic stuff um, they do, and then all the canvas stuff I do, and. And then the client also has to provide their own financials and, you know, all the other stuff that, that the client's responsible for in the application to make sure they qualify. And then we all, and then we submit, you know, and most of the time we win. So that's sort of how I help people get the license. As far as raising money, a similar kind of process where you have a team of people, are we talking about getting loans from banks? Are we talking about individual venture capital money? Like where, where is the, how does that all work? Well, what I usually help people do is get their pro formas and their decks and their business plans together for investors. I'm not an expert at raising money. I'm not an expert at sitting in rooms with bankers and venture capitalists. And I mean, I know those folks. I love those folks. They're, they're a very important part of the industry. But that's not typically what I do. But I set you up so you can go to those folks. Uh, and to the extent that I have folks in my Rolodex, I certainly provide that for my clients. But raising money is, is, is not my sweet spot. As, as it's a, more as like a, how, to, how to appeal to investors about, you know, about what they're looking for and making sure the deck is the right kind of pitch deck and that kind of thing. The big thing is, how am I going to be different than everybody else right now? That It's really hard, and that's a hard problem. And, and there's various different ways of doing that, but you have to analyze the market, and you have to get creative and figure out you know, how to differentiate yourself. But that's one of the things that I do that is important because you have to follow through. Now, I know some of this is probably confidential with your clients, but I'm wondering if you can give an example of a client you worked with and, and, and how you differentiated their message. of what Because I find this a lot as a journalist that I get pitched a lot of brands and they all are kind of the same, obviously. We're, we're all dealing with the same plant in a lot of ways. What, what, is, what is some, maybe you can give an example of a company that you helped differentiate or just how you might go about differentiating well, what I like to do is really get to know the clients and the entrepreneurs well and incorporate some of their story into the branding or into the difference, whatever we're doing to differentiate. So it's not just Canna plus whatever, right? Um, and it's not just... Full spectrum. Right, or something that kind of looks like a weed leaf, but it's not a weed leaf, and that's the logo. And And, you know, so... I don't want to create another one of those because <laughs> we have so many of them. Right. But like if I, if I have a client that is 
really good at real estate. That's what they made their money in, or that's what they've had their success in. We might do something with the real estate part of the brand, you know, if it's a retail brand, or even if it's not, we might do something with the real estate that's different and interesting and fun than any anybody else could do because they're already real estate people. They already know how to do that. They already have a bench of contractors and architects and so forth. And so try to play to people's strengths and and tell a really good story. You know, that's one reason I like to have a little bit of a personal touch in there, just because you can tell a, a more authentic story. Everybody who knows cannabis is is good for you now, I think. And I think we've branded the plant as a good plant, not a bad plant now. All right, so what's the next step? Um, your personal story can't, you know, is your own story, so it can't be replicated, right? That's the one nice thing about doing your personal story. Right, you know, and so... You, Nobody else has your story. <laughs> that's right. And so I, I'm sure that if you look at some of the bigger brands that have differentiated themselves, they do that, like Burner did it with cookies. Even Planet 13. Planet 13 has a very particular vibe to it that comes from the backgrounds of the founders and the CEOs. I think they have a co-CEO structure there. And it's done in that way. And it has that look and feel. And everybody sort of knows what it is, you know, before you even go. I think you kind of know what it is. So, and I wouldn't create that. That's not what I would create. But somebody created it and, and a whole bunch of people are enjoying it. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about building the industry is you see all these different models emerging now. It's all niching out right now. And it's really fun to see how people apply their creativity and their investors' money, you know. I'm sure there's also a lot of common mistakes that uh, people get into. And I'm wondering, when you meet somebody, what are some of the, the more common sort of mistakes that you see people make r really right out of the gate? Well, the first one is people think it's easier than it really is. The second one is people don't do enough research and due diligence, whether it be getting into the market itself, what the industry is itself, or you know, I've decided to do X, be a dispensary, due diligence on where you're going to do that, who your competitors are, how hard that's going to be, so forth and so on. And then I often see a lot of these businesses are family businesses. A lot of these businesses are partnerships, you know, that may not be family. Common mistake is not having the prenuptial agreements right <laughs> or not at all. And as someone who's been in family businesses my whole life, I can tell you that you always need to talk about what you're going to do when the worst happens and when things go wrong. And it should be on a piece of paper somewhere that everybody has put their mark on and before it happens. So then when it happens, you've got this piece of paper and you can say, remember when we were starting all this, and then you could take it out and look at it. Now, how relevant that piece of paper will be with the particular situation that you're in at that moment, I don't know. But at least you've put in the time to understand where your boundaries are as partners and where what your expectations are, what your roles are, what you're bringing to it. All of that has to be super, super clear. Because what happens is 
you go to raise money or you do in fact raise money. And now all of a sudden you have a ton of responsibility, judiciary, legal like responsibility. You don't want to be Theranos. Okay. So that's, and the pressure gets the heat in the kitchen gets a lot higher. And that, then, then, then you start to see these divorces and these, these cracks happen in partnerships and teams because it's like, okay, we have to deploy this money. It has to be successful. What are the, and then people get very indecisive or they can't agree and they can't find a consensus and it wears down. And all of a sudden you have a dysfunctional team. So those are some of the common mistakes I see. And, you know, you have to, move at a certain pace. You can't move too fast or you'll make mistakes. You can't let the tyranny of the urgency, I call it. You cannot let the tyranny of the urgency rule your life in this game. Figure it out on your own time. Do your due diligence. Investigate the market. Investigate your competitors. Paper up all your partnerships, right? Paper up your investments, right? Make sure everybody feels safe. Make sure everybody sees and understands clearly what their role is and what you're going to do if things go south. And then usually things turn out really well. If you've spent the time to do all that stuff, by the end of that process, you've got a culture you've built on the team and that culture will sustain the team through the rough patches and the turbulence that's inevitable in this business, inevitable in this industry. So that's, those are sort of the most common mistakes I see. Do you ever turn down clients? I mean, are you ever just like, this is a bad idea? And I, I mean, without saying that, but just like knowing right off the gate that this is a no win. Well, as you do this more, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into my, like, I'm in year two right now with being a consultant. Yes, I have to say no a lot. Uh, or what I really like to do instead of saying no is refer people to other clients, uh, other consultants, I'm sorry. I don't take any referrals. I just build my network and my sort of network of associates and we help each other out, you know, because I'm not a cultivator, but I know a whole bunch of cultivators that are really good that'll deliver the goods every single time for the clients. So we can join together in a contract and service the clients. So, you know, we, we, that, that's, instead of saying no, I want to, I want to point somebody to someone that might be more appropriate, uh, uh, for them, because like I mentioned, I'm boutique and, you know, I, I, I usually only have one or two, like right now, I only have one or two slots available for what I really like to do, which is build the business and get people up and running. Are there any sectors of the cannabis industry, and I'm talking plant touching and non-plant touching, that are just at this point too overcrowded? Maybe you wouldn't advise people jumping in at this stage, also with the MSOs coming and are already here. Are there, you know, like sometimes I think of like an industry like CBD. Is it just too overcrowded at this moment, or is there still opportunity in every sector if you have a good idea? Well, there's always room at the top, you know. Like I like to say, if your if your idea is good, then you can do well. The problem, the CBD, yes, it's it's crowded right now. The problem with CBD is the only thing we're doing with those plants we're growing is extracting CBD from them, and we're not doing anything else with the plant. And so the revenue stream is only CBD. So if the CBD market should become oversupplied and therefore 
price goes down, you don't have other revenue streams from that same plant to help you, right? So, and it's just part of making the industry more mature. We don't have the cultivars, I don't think, or very few cultivars that will grow really good CBD and really good fiber at the same time. Or really, you know, um, it's expensive to extract CBD and make hempcrete um, at the same time. That costs, you know, more money. And there's a bigger market for CBD than hempcrete right now. And so everyone's doing CBD. So yes, I think that's one area that's probably a little overcrowded until you can create more revenue streams with the plant. Industrial hemp in general, though, I think is very undercrowded. And I think that is a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs. I mean, if I was an entrepreneur, there's a few things I'd avoid. I'd avoid CBD right now. I'd avoid California. <laughs> we record this in the heart of California. Yes, I would, I would avoid California until the framework gets fixed here because you'll just bleed to death. And Any states that you are excited about, like Oklahoma or... Talk about overcrowded. Oklahoma is overcrowded. Um, so I, I wouldn't recommend Oklahoma unless you have just something that's a big enough scale that I guess you can win. But I like New York. I like the framework in New York. I like New Mexico. I think that, you know, some old stalwarts like Colorado, you know, Colorado still has a lot of room to grow because last I checked, they still had something like 40% of the state banned or 30% of the state had bans in place for dispensaries and stuff. And now they're starting consumption lounges in Denver. And I just think there's room to grow. Colorado's still growing at a nice clip. And New Jersey, you know, New Jersey's one of those places that it, it just, they've screwed it up, you know. And so it's... It, Poor New Jersey. Right. It's, but the, the idea behind the framework of New Jersey is not bad. It's just the execution has been terrible. So uh, I'm, I have mixed feelings. But you're optimistic about New York. I am optimistic about New York because I think they have better politicians there that are smarter. I think their political class is a little bit smarter there. I like this new mayor of New York. I like this. I actually like this woman who's the new governor. I think she's been real good on our issue. I, I don't think... We could ask for too, too much more from a mainstream Democratic politician in a huge state like New York than we've gotten from her. So I'm very hopeful for New York. Yeah, and I, and I hope New York will show everybody else how to relax and, and create a framework that's more inclusive. Massachusetts is the opposite example. That's the example where the MSOs are basically going to own the whole thing or, or, or at least making a very strong move right now to own the whole thing. And I want to see more diversity, you know? I, I want to see little neighborhood places. I want to see, I want to see all kinds of different retail and consumption models, um, not just big, giant corporate ones. So, so I hope that everybody else feels that way too and we can build the industry. We're in a kind of a clumsy moment right now in the industry for that, but I hope we can create that because I think it, it'll be, we'll be more proud of what we've created if we do that. All right. I want to get to the last question here. You had mentioned the minefields. Uh, did you mean minefields as far as becoming a cult consultant or did you mean minefields as far as hiring consultant? Or maybe you meant both, but, but what were you referring to there? I just want to make sure our, our listeners avoid any kind of minefields that they might uh, encounter in this industry. 
Well, I'll talk about the minefields clients have for first. If you just Google cannabis consultants, uh, you'll get a huge list of cannabis consultants. Finding the right fit for what you want to do is just, that's the minefield. That's enormously hard. I'm not the right fit for it, everybody. But I'm the perfect fit for certain people, right? Most consultants will you know, tell you everything you want to hear and tell you that they can deliver the world for you. You know, I, I would I would be skeptical of of those. And you know, some people want a large firm. You know, some clients need a large firm that has lawyers and marketing people, real estate people, and all that sort of stuff. And some people need a little more of a boutique experience. So, and and there's. There's also just a lot of mediocrity I've noticed in the consulting market. There's just a lot of folks that they themselves have not built a cannabis company before, but yet they're consulting for people on how to build their cannabis company. They may have consulted on other kinds of companies and built other kinds of companies, and therefore they think they know how to build a cannabis company. So there's a lot of that too out there in the market. I, I, I encourage people... Find someone like me <laughs> that has done it before, you know, and whether they're part of a big firm or whether they're, and, and not just, oh, I've got, you know, 10 million square feet of canopy under my belt because I have that many clients. So that's what I encourage people to do because if you work with people who have seen the movies have, uh, before, the operational movies that happen over and over in cannabis and how to deal with them, it's, I think, helpful for clients to succeed. All right, so this is your opportunity to, to actually show for yourself. How do people find you, Andrew, if they want to uh, investigate your consulting business? AndrewDiangelo.com. You can email me at Andrew at AndrewDiangelo.com. It's all pretty much right there. I'm also all over Instagram and Twitter, Andrew slash D'Angelo. And I'm new to TikTok, but getting more active all the time. Thank you, Andrew, for taking the time. Nice talking with you today. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.